This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of harvesting nature. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game podcast. You got uh, your host here, Justin Townsend, along with uh, a special guest. Join us from up in Pennsylvania. We got Tyler France with us. And uh, also a couple fellas from the crew. We got Corey up from Pennsylvania as well. How we doing? And uh, we got Will with us today. Hey guys. Sporting a dapper mustache, I might add. I'm, I'm pretty impressed by that. I appreciate it. Getting ready for the fall hunting season, so it's good. <laughs> I I've heard that mustaches make you better hunters, but I think that's just, just a fact. I think it is. I'll, I'll include beards in there too. I think. Yeah, so. I like to go. I like to go with the full beard. <laughs> that little rally Here beard. Here, my Johnson looks. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you ever? Do you ever wonder if like beards, if they? they were just a, a point of for like mountain men and hunters. It was like a point of just functionality. Like it just happened because it's like, why buy razors or it was stylish and people were like, I'm going to identify as a mountain man. So I know I need to have a beard. So I don't know. It's a good thought, but, um, so a couple, couple news points, I guess. Um, not much news going on. Well, a lot of news going on since the last podcast, but none that I want to talk about. <laughs> and uh, so one thing, Corey, you had on the list here for me was the uh, the status of our photo cook-off. So I'm definitely impressed with all the dishes that were put forward and uh, the amount of people participated in voting. 
Uh, I think it was cool. It was definitely a good mix of wild game and seafood and freshwater fish as well, um, kind of throughout. So it was neat to see people's creativity whenever they made the dishes, though, because it's, you know, I think like some very common recipes come to mind. You know, you get backstrap, you get fried fish, you get things like that. But people definitely got out there. There was a lot of uh, cuts of meat that were stuffed with other things and then either grilled or smoked and baked. Um, I don't know, Corey, what's been your... (laughs) Beating you to it. That squirrel burger was intriguing. Yeah, it it looked like it was shredded and then it was maybe grilled. Um, So I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm curious to message the person who, uh, who created that, but the picture was just, uh, for anybody who didn't see it, it was just, um, it was a hand holding a burger and it was just plain hamburger buns, lettuce, you know, maybe some kind of sauce. And then you could see the patty, which looked like shredded meat, but that was it. I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't anything crazy, but just that it caught your attention. Grilled squirrel burger. So kind of like a crab cake. With a, Pretty much, with, yeah. With a bushy tail. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I think uh, I think I support it. Um, we did it. We had some crab in there, too. There was some some uh, steamed crab that was in the competition. I think that, that picture did pretty well, also. And then I'm trying to think, Corey, was the squirrel your favorite, or did you have another? It, it intrigued me the most, yeah. I mean, it's hard to choose between all of those. Everything looked good. The bass burger uh, looked pretty good too. I think the the most intriguing one uh, to me, and I think you know, I'm I'm an antelope hunter, so they had a uh, feta and pepper stuffed antelope tenderloin. Oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, that one, yeah. That's like a prime cut too. Your tenderloin, so it's a. Uh, it, it makes me it makes me think that person like really was really super excited to make that dish but um either way it was good i think um i think it's something i want to do in the spring and the fall so we'll see that competition come back up again and and hopefully next year i think we'll have some more participants um i mean not that we, we had plenty this year because we filled our our 16 but um I think maybe next year we'll make like a bigger, a bigger thing of it. Maybe we'll involve some video and stuff like that. So jazz it up a bit, but the, the winner gets a cool mug. That'll say, uh, fall 2020 wild fishing game cook off champion. Um, so that's pretty cool. They can drink cold beer out of that, but let's get down to the meat of the podcast and, and do some talking. So we've got, uh, with Tyler being here, Got quite a bit to talk about, I think, which is good. Um, I guess, Corey, Will, do you guys have any updates? Anything of note you want to bring up? I went uh, goose hunting the other night, and we saw exactly zero geese. So that was fun. (laughs) To me, it just, it seems warm for geese. I mean, granted, we're several hundred miles difference, but um between the two of us but it just seems like a warm time of year for geese yeah it was warm yesterday but the uh the local state park opens up goose hunting to get rid of those nuisance geese 
So last year we had some success, so we were hoping to duplicate that, but uh, no luck this year. Oh, that actually reminds me. Uh, your goose story is the um, our first uh, Adventures for Food podcast episode released just just last Sunday, and we'll have another one coming up in two more Sundays. So. Uh, it's on this channel, so if you subscribe to this channel, which you should be doing, then you'll get the alert that that came out. And they'll be releasing two Sunday. We'll be releasing within two Sundays each month, so two weeks apart. Uh, and those are going to go. And for those that haven't heard it already, those are more focused on like acquiring food versus sort of talking about you know different aspects and they're very concise so we get into just the adventure aspect there's only one person on there talking and uh i urge you i think we got one of our field staff writers sean west is going to be the he was the first one that was up uh on that episode and tells a, a great sort of like backcountry turkey hunt story it was uh it was pretty good i enjoyed it but i'm looking forward to to hearing more of them yeah me too and uh i think it's it's gonna be a cool adventure series we're gonna try to rotate through all the riders maybe have some special guests on there so who knows we'll hear some great tales but over to tyler so tyler you want to tell us a little bit about yourself uh where you're from where you spend most of your time what you do sure absolutely so uh First of all, I want to thank you for having me on as a guest uh, this week. Really looking forward to chatting with you guys. Um, always down to talk hunting and fishing and all great things outdoors. So, uh, yeah, I'm from I'm from Central Pennsylvania, just east of Hershey, um, from Anvil, which is located in Lebanon County. I grew up in Schuylkill County on a family farm of over 100 acres. Uh, grew up hunting, fishing doing it all, everything Pennsylvania. We have a cabin up in like Coming County. So I get to do some big woods hunting for bear and, and deer and turkeys and uh, just really enjoy getting after it. Um, I'm a school teacher by trade, uh, soccer coach and a freelance outdoor writer. Uh, very active in Pennsylvania Outdoor Writers Association, which I, I believe we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, maybe chat about that a bit, but um, yeah, uh, just, uh, just kind of your every man. Uh, hunter fisher and uh and i just love being able to to share the outdoors through various types of communication nice and um i was i was saying earlier when we when we were kind of talking before we hit record colin uh one of the other guys who's on the podcast normally he's actually from hershey uh and i was like man it's uh he's gonna be kick himself that he couldn't make it today but he's off uh protecting the nation's shores or something like that. So we'll, we'll give him a pass. <laughs> um, but no, definitely happy to have you on tonight, man. It's a, it was a good conversation. So looking, I, I know Pennsylvania is pretty diverse with the types of game you can hunt. What's uh what's something you're normally most commonly chasing after? Uh, big time uh, whitetail hunter. That's, that's my, my favorite uh, love bow hunting. Uh, that's kind of where I'm really passionate, but I'll get after everything. You know, I'll do some waterfowling, do some small game. I, I have a, a bird dog and we get out and do some pheasant hunting. Uh, I've had her for grouse upstate. And uh, we, as I mentioned, we do have a, a camp that we 
we do bear hunt. Um, we've been successful uh, in the past. My dad has eight Pennsylvania black bears. I have three and my brother has four. So we've been successful and we don't drive uh, for bear like many of the big camps do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just just kind of sit in the trails spread out in the mountains and uh, had some repeated success, fortunately, over the past several several years. So doing well in that arena, but I'm really, like I said, my heart lies in, in bow hunting whitetails. I, I really enjoy that. And uh, anytime I'm writing about that, those stories are a little easier to write than the others. So you're getting all prepared for the, the season that's coming up here quick? Oh, yeah. Yeah, really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a good year. So I, I was uh, I was looking today and uh, came across one of your articles about the – and this – although this wasn't on our list, I, I was reading up and I, I saw um, dual impact strategies for bear – and deer and i saw that this season they they made some changes to pennsylvania game laws that allows you to to kind of carry both a firearm and a bow yeah yeah there's going to be some really unique opportunities this year i mean they really opened it up uh in terms of uh how often hunters can get out um you're looking at a one week longer season in the general archery uh, early on. So they extended it by a week. You're essentially getting an extra week of archery season further into, you know, the peak of the rut. So that's going to be exciting for many bow hunters to begin with. And, uh, the way it plays out, you can, you can actually bow hunt for bears four different Saturdays because they're opening up for three weeks. Uh, one of which will obviously be that inline muzzleloader overlap. Uh, when it's also consecutively running with the antlerless deer in line season. And uh, yeah, they have dual carry options now that you can carry, a, a, you know, an inline muzzle loader uh, or a bow because you, you obviously you can't shoot a buck if you happen to see a nice buck walk by as you have the inline. You can't shoot that um, because it is an antlerless only whitetail season. But there are currently in that during that same time. So you you kind of want to have the, the gun for the bear or the, or the doe, but you know, some guys will be kicking themselves if a, you know, solid, you know, 130 inch buck walks past them and, and they can't do anything about it. So they did make some adjustments that are different from last year, which was the first go around with an inline season for bears. And uh, you can now carry a bow along with it at the same time. So Guys will have to kind of figure out the logistics of how you're going to sling that on your body, mm-hmm. getting on the mountain. But, you know, it's doable. It's, it's definitely doable if you're stand hunting, I think. Um, you know, if you're doing still hunting or anything, it might get a little clunky to, you know, have a, right. have a gun slung over your shoulder and have a bow. It's a um, – I mean, I, that stood out to me so much. Um, I, I find it really interesting. I think it's a, I think it's a progressive move and, and correct me – if I'm wrong, but especially Will, because Will, you've hunted a lot of the West too. It's like, it's not very, it's common you see overlap of seasons, but it's not often common you see overlap of weapons like that or allowing like dual carry. Cause I know there are some states that definitely frown on, like if you're out bow hunting, like you better not have a firearm on you, like not even a pistol in some instances. Oh, yeah. I've run into that definitely in the, in the Western states. Uh, and I think Pennsylvania is really looking at reforming a lot of their hunting laws. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're opening up a few Sundays this uh, this season. Are you going to be able to take it, 
advantage of that, Tyler? Yeah, there's going to be there's going to be three Sundays now. I, I don't know if if everyone realizes how long this has been, but uh, it's <laughs> we're one of the original <laughs> Blue Law states where Sunday has not happened. You know, beyond you know crow hunting and handful of predators, uh, you know coyotes, but. You, it's been a very long time. We're going back to like the 17, 1800s since this has been allowed. And that's um, crazy, man. <laughs> and they, they, they granted in a, in a kind of a bargain with the state legislature. Um, and it was signed by the governor to allow three Sundays and now they're prime Sundays. It's, it's the last Sunday of archery season. What would be the last Sunday of archery season. You're going to end that final extension week of archery that I talked about where they're adding on to the backside of the season. That ends on a Saturday, and or I'm sorry, that ends on a Friday, and then bear season begins on Saturday for rifle bear. You now can hunt the Sunday of rifle bear, and then it goes Monday, Tuesday, so you have a four-day rifle bear season. Then it switches off you know, for Thanksgiving, which you can turkey hunt Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, I'm sorry, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then on Saturday is the opening day of the statewide rifle deer season and that third sunday is right between that saturday and what was the traditional monday opener a few years ago they they moved to a sun or a saturday opener actually i believe it was it was la- just it last, was last year last year. Yeah. last year was the first saturday opener so guys were hunting saturday and then off sunday and then waited to get back after it until monday it was it was unique uh so it's kind of a nice place that they put it that you know, people who had already kind of gotten used to taking off that first Monday. Right. Traditional yeah. Opening day. Now they'll have Saturday, Sunday, Monday to hunt, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Typically I that take off mon- Monday and Tuesday from, from work. And now with Saturday and Sunday, I, you know, got four straight days of hunting with the rifle. So that, that's kind of nice. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting with, with the concurrent seasons, you know, last year they closed down that it was buck only for most of the state that first week and uh, guys that might've shot a, shot a buck in, in archery season now had Saturday off, but they couldn't go because they would have only been doe hunting and it was buck only that first week. So that was interesting. Um, I got out with a DMAP tag. You're allowed to hunt DMAP properties. Um, what's uh what's dmap so dmap is it's called deer management assistance program several state lands and and private lands can apply for a certain number of antlerless tags if they're trying to whittle down the population a little bit um, and then hunters can apply it's a little more expensive than a typical doe license but uh they they can go out and harvest them they have to report at the end of the season whether they did or did not use the tag so they can kind of have accurate more accurate data on it but um, I, provides I love DMAP tags. Yeah. I I take advantage of them every year. They're nice. Do you get into them up there in Allegheny? Uh, uh, yeah. Allegheny in the uh, National Forest there? Yeah, there's some timber timber companies that have land right next to my house. So it's, you know, walk across the road. I'm on, I'm on the DMAP property. So, and, uh, so it makes it nice. Yeah, sure does. Man, did you plan that when you got your house, Corey? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my wife. Right? I hear it's like I I tell stories and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm flying to Texas and I gotta drive to Wyoming to go hunt, or you know, I gotta drive four hours to get up to a good piece of land. And Corey's like, I wake up, slam a cup of coffee, and walk across the street. 
boom, turkey, deer, whatever I want. <laughs> that's tough life, man. Right? Oh, that's, just, that's just good planning. I'm obviously doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I did have one one more question for you on on that dual strategy. So looking at habitat, and uh, I guess I'm I'm not a Pennsylvania hunter, so I'm not super familiar, but where's a good, what's your recommendation on a good spot, sort of like where, where the two meet? Yeah. So, you know, I talked about in that article of just to kind of give the listeners some, some background on it. How, how can you kind of capitalize on an area where you could potentially be successful hunting a whitetail? just as much as you would be hunting a black bear because they are two totally different animals, but they do have some preferences. So you're looking for an area where number one, good food sources, uh, especially mid October. If you can get into something like, you know, a chestnut Oak stand, they're going to be hammering that. If you find, you know, a good stand of chestnut Oaks at that point, the white Oaks are kind of tapering off white Oak acorns are the, they're tapering off by, by late September, early October, but mid October looking for chestnut Oaks, um, even beach flats, hickory. If you can get into there and, and find some really good hard mass or standing cornfields, if there are unharvested cornfields, they're going to be going to that feed, but they both really like cover as well. So thick, clear cuts in the Northern tier, there's rolling mountains with lots of laurel, you can find those areas if they abut with some sort of agricultural fields. Those bears are going to be coming off off the thick, coming down to feed, and, and so will the deer, as long as there's water in the area. I mean, that's that's kind of like the triple threat. But, um, yeah, so I, I really keyed in on, you know, big mountainous area, laurel, laurel thickets, big tracts of, of public land that might butt up against private land with some corn, standing corn, or really good hard mast. Uh, also... So- dense swamps the, as well so the the area that that i'm in and because of these increased opportunities i'm actually uh have a bear tag for the first time ever this year and uh you're talking Guys about cool if not to <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so you're, you're talking about clear cuts and swampy areas and mm. um so the the dmap that's across the road has um several of those features and uh, my neighbor has had problems with bears getting into his bird feeders so uh and i've been up in there archer hunting for deer on several occasions and had had a bear walk under me so so i'm gonna concentrate on that area this fall for for both buck and bear so I'm looking forward yeah, to this. We are season. absolutely living living in the golden era of bear hunting in Pennsylvania right now. It's it's the best population we've ever seen. We're at estimated over twenty thousand bears in the state, and uh, been shooting a lot of big bears in the state in the past couple of years. Population's expanding, and you know it's just really they're trying to open up more opportunities to keep a handle on that, and much to hunters' delight, you know you have the chance to kind of get a crack at them while you're trying to fill your, your deer tag as well. I, I think it's cool. I always try to, in, in the places I go, and I think most, most notably that sticks out to me is like, uh, in California hunting kind of up in the Sierra Nevadas, uh, if people draw tags up there. Um, I'll, and I'll, if I go with them, I typically always grab a bear tag just cause they're, they're super cheap out, out there. And it's just like, why not? 
you know, you're going to take the opportunity to have it because, you know, it's, <laughs> it's in some instances, it's a higher chance you're going to come across a bear than you're going to come across a deer anyway. So, uh, why not? And, well, and I, of course, when you don't buy the tag, you're going to see the bear. 100%. So you, you have to drop that. And in California being so restrictive in their hunting is super unrestrictive with their bear hunting, which is crazy. So it's always easy to, you know, cash over the, you know, 30, 50 bucks, whatever it is that year for that bear tag. And then, you know, go chase muleys in the mountains. And, you know, you just, you just can't leave that on the table, you know? Mm-mm. I agree. Um, well, since we're, since we're on uh, the topic of bear, we swung that way. Um, so we we're going to, I was going to ask you sort of what, what you're currently working on as far as topics and articles. And I saw uh 100 bear legacy. Can, can you expound a little bit upon that? Yeah. So um, I've been fortunate to, to do a lot of projects for Pennsylvania game news magazine. It's a, it's a historic magazine in the state. It's kind of like the holy grail of of magazines here locally um been around a long time great history and uh i've been fortunate to to write as a columnist for them both in the in the bow and the the gun columns that they have but i also do a lot of feature writing and, and one project in particular that is set to run this november and the november issue is is the hundred bear legacy it's about a it's about a hunting camp that's in in lycoming county uh, many of the members are from my hometown where I grew up. So I know a lot of these guys and, uh, they killed their hundredth, uh, camp there this year and, wow. uh, went, went through a lot of adversity through the years, um, had, had their cat, their cat, that whole cabin burned down just a couple of years ago. They rebuilt it. It's one of the, the state camps, which was an old CCC camp, when you know when the new deal went through after the great depression and they you know hired all the conservation boys to go out and maintain the public lands it was one of those original camps that they bought and turned into a bear camp and you know they lost it they lost the whole thing a couple years ago and then uh, they had this goal to hit 100 bears and uh their president um their camp president who's a very dear friend of mine my family's he passed away unexpectedly of a heart attack uh, last summer and the year that they didn't have him along, they killed their hundredth bear. Uh, and, uh, just really an emotional season for all the guys, but what an amazing legacy and the history that's there in the camp. It's going to be a big spread, uh, and one of the lead stories for that issue. And uh, I hope people really enjoy it. It was, it was one of the most meaningful stories I've ever written. And, uh, I think, I think people are really going to like it a lot. Man, that's crazy. A hundred bears too. And just to think about the, like you said, the legacy and history wrapped around that camp too. Yeah. I'm sure there's, uh, how many generations you think have participated in that camp? It was, uh, there's, there's four generations. Uh, as of now, there's one member who turns 91 next month, kind of used him as the centerpiece. And, uh, he was there for almost every one of the hundred bears and he's still alive. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's, pretty yeah, neat. That's cool. That says something too about the bear population as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if you, sure. if you look at that chunk of time, like, uh, uh, that's pretty impressive. Let's, uh, let's switch gears here a little bit and let's, um, well, s- sticking with the, with the pen game news. <laughs> okay. So uh, that's a great segue. 
it's a great segue because um, I think Tyler worked on a project a few years ago um, the through the page, uh, Pennsylvania deer hunting through the pages of ga- of the game news and that was uh, it was actually like a, a, a book length uh, project you you worked on of all of like what was 130 different stories of whitetail hunting in Pennsylvania all taken from from Pennsylvania game news yeah so so that the book is it's 197 pages or I can tell you here in a second it's like it's 170 174 pages uh, which is it's a compilation of there's 30 stories and this is combing back through game news from the 1930s so Pennsylvania game news magazine originally started as a bulletin for the game protectors, which became conservation officers, which now is known as game wardens. Okay. And it was kind of like a newsletter at first. And then they thought, you know, why, why don't we publish this statewide and get this information out to hunters? And it really evolved into a, a long standing, you know, several decades long, um, subscription that people could buy into there are there are insane like game news collections out there where where people have like almost every single issue like hardcore collectors some of them have double sets of every magazine that was ever published but uh, they came to me about doing a project that was they wanted to kind of tell the the state's deer hunting history as it was read through the game news so i combed through something like 960 back issues. Uh, it was an interesting project, huge, wow. huge undertaking. Um, me living where I live, I'm about 30 minutes from the Harrisburg central office uh, for, for the state agency. And uh, I'd run over there once a month and they'd give me a, a big box of 10 hardbound collections for the decade. Okay. So every hardbound book, had all 12 issues for 1951, for example. Oh, wow. And then the next book was 1952. So I'd have a whole decade with each of the 12 issues. So 120 issues per month. And I'd go through them first. And every one that was a deer story, I threw a post-it note in. <laughs> and I just picked out the deer stories. And then I went back and narrowed them down and, and kind of skimmed through and saw, okay, what's the common theme for this this decade? What What's... What's it all about? So 1951, that, that was when they had their first archery season uh, in the 50s. So naturally, that decade became all archery stories. In 1960s, they introduced the Big Game Trophy Awards for Pennsylvania. So that was all about you know shooting a record buck. And, and what is a trophy to you? Not necessarily is it, is it big antlers or could it be about someone shooting a really special, memorable spike buck um, and how we, how we interpret a trophy. 1970s you had the bicentennial 1976 right so for for the nation everybody kind of got into that pioneer throwback garb and Mm -hmm. everything and as a result of that that led to the first flintlock muzzleloader season in pennsylvania post christmas so naturally the 70s were were about that and just a really cool project i i kind of tried to find a common thread and it and it came out to a nice anthology a collection of all these relics of the past these awesome you know stories that were printed by some professional writers some kind of just the average joe who sent it in and they printed it and i uh, just tried to really tell 
tell the history of our state's deer hunting heritage through through all these different you know collection of stories and uh really really cool how it turned out man that's it sounds like a really cool book i'm i'm not even from pennsylvania and it's like i'm i'm gonna get me a copy just so i can read it this is gonna be some cool stories oh yeah it's there, a great book is. yeah and I, i've read it it's it's you know i wanted to spread it out and read it over you know a few days i, I think i just ended up sitting down and reading most of it in one sitting so <laughs> it uh it, it keeps you in there do you have a favorite story out of it? Uh, this both of you, actually. I guess Tyler, do you have a favorite story that, that stands out in your memory? Yeah, there was there were some really cool ones. Um, one one that stood out was was written by a, a very notable author in Pennsylvania. He he passed away uh, several years ago, but Tom Fagley, uh, and it's it's called the Deer Hunter's Thanksgiving. Uh, he wrote it in 1988 and kind of was about this boy who who goes out with his grandfather because his his father died in the war and the grandfather hikes up to the top of the mountain where he had always hiked where he took his own son and it's hard for him to go now because you know to make that climb and he gets up there and you know he sheds a tear on the mountain and and the boy has a a run-in with a big buck and it's just one of those heartwarming ones that hits home and you're, you, you set it down after you read and you're like, wow, that's a great story. So that was one of my, my personal favorites, but there's, there's so many good stories in there. Um, as Corey mentioned, it, it's tough to put it down. It's something that every deer camp for sure should have on the coffee table. Uh, Cause it, there's just some great reads. It's really awesome that you were able to be, you know, a part of that in the history of deer hunting in Pennsylvania. I mean, I was surprised to learn a couple of years back that Pennsylvania is, you know, the second highest number of deer hunters in the nation. So just to be able to write that history and be a part of that's really cool. Oh yeah. Uh, the heritage is, is, is amazing. And I learned so much just reading through the back issues, like the old ones from the 1960s, like, there was stuff in there that that's almost hard to believe it was printed, you know, in, in today's <laughs> modern day and age, it was like they were, you know, a bounties on hawks and, and great horned owls. There were wild dog packs running around oh, chasing man. deer. It was it just really interesting. It was hard. It was so hard to keep focused and just like stick to the deer stories because I wanted to read everything, you know, but pretty cool. It was, it was a neat experience. All right, Corey, what's your favorite story? What's one that stands out to you? I it's been a while since I read it, and so I can't I can't remember any specific stories. So I guess that prompts me to, that I'll have to read it again. So Yeah, man. <laughs> Some homework. Yeah. Yeah. But I I know um the game news, you can read some back issues on on the website, I believe. You can look at mm -hmm. stuff that's like a year or more older and you know, when I first started writing for Harvesting Nature, um, one of my goals was to get um, an article or a story published in the Pen Game News because, like, for me, that was the pinnacle of a Pennsylvania hunter and writer is getting getting a story in there. And so, I I think I have a couple stories in there now. So, it's uh, yeah, it's it's an it's a it's a neat magazine. I like I like reading it every month. It is. They're, they're great reads. I mean, talk about not putting it down. Like I, I, I've contributed, I think I wrote 
30, 36 or 37 was my last one that I just put in. Uh, so I've contributed a lot and, and I still, as soon as I get it that night, I pick it up. I almost read it cover to cover almost every single time. Uh, I just love it. It's a, it's a great magazine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here at Harvest in Nature, we are known to cook a variety of wild fish and game in a variety of ways. Probably one of my favorite methods is to cook in a smoker. Traeger Grills has some of the best products out there. Their pellet grills aren't just grills. They're smokers and ovens too. Anything you can do in the oven in your house, you can do on the Traeger. You can make desserts. You can grill steaks. You can use cast iron pans and braise tough cuts. You can allow roasts and briskets to smoke all day until they're tender and delicious. You can even use it to make jerky. Their variety of pellets are also very impressive. The different flavors of wood allow you to pair with your meat or fish or vegetables and give it the most flavor that you can create. They even have varieties created specifically for your next wild fish or game meal. Switching gears here to the cooking side of things. What's uh, obviously being a big deer hunter, I imagine that you got a lot of deer in the freezer. So mm-hmm. I may have just answered the question, but I like to see maybe s- surprise me. But um, what's your your favorite wild game to go to? Oh man, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to default to one that I haven't personally shot myself yet. Uh, it's a big yet because it's my number one bucket list. I got to get out west and, and kill myself an elk. But right. my dad was in Wyoming in the in the Bridger Wilderness area last year, and he shot a really nice six by seven bull elk. And uh, I raided his freezer last time I was <laughs> visiting home, and I grabbed some of the some of the ground ground burger, and I smoked it. I smoked the burger meat in like a tin, like a an aluminum pan in my electric smoker. Mm-hmm. And it that took on all the flavor of the smoke, and then I made chili with it, and it was Ooh. that was by far the best chili I've ever made. It was amazing. I like Tur- good smoked chili for sure. Yeah. That turned out great. But in terms of in terms of deer meat, you know, whitetail, uh, I have a, a recipe for. I believe I pulled it from like an outdoor life or something years ago, and it it's a. Uh, it's a, a shrimp stuffed venison tenderloin. It has like a garlic butter and wine sauce on it. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you kind of almost butterfly it out lengthwise and then you stuff it and then you tie it with butcher twine and then you slow roast it. Man, is that good? Oh, that sounds good. It reminds me of a remind. What was it? Corey, were you on that episode with John Wallace? I was not. Forget who else was on there with me, but he did a uh, very similar to that. He had like backstrap. He took over to a friend's house, and he was over there like two nights or something. They were hunting or whatever, and the first night they made like shrimp scampi, and then the second night he was he was up to do the 
the back strap and he's like i just opened the fridge and i saw the shrimp scampi there i was like i'm putting this shrimp scampi in that back strap and he's like almost same thing and he's like you'd never think about it he goes but it was so good and i was like mm-hmm. it's a it's a true surf and turf right there it but is. man that does that sounds good I have to give it a go have you guys ever debated on here uh, what's the best upland game you know, in, in terms of game birds, what's the best tasting bird? Because, I mean, I have one I'm sold on. Just curious to see if you guys have a favorite. Oh, man. That's a good question. Um, I don't think we've debated it. I don't know if it's come up. We've we've had some up on game no. conversations. Um, man, I, I like dove. I like quail. I can't say that I've outside of those though i i haven't hunted much like i'm i've never hunted pheasant before um grouse and some of the other things just never never worked out in my favor so i i'd have to say probably dove or quail would be at the top of my list see i'm with you on that one justin i think that's kind of a nature of where we were raised you know in oklahoma and mean down in texas but man some grilled quail legs are probably my favorite thing in the bird family. You just can't beat it a good day out hunting. And then there's so little meat on them, but oh man, so tasty. And uh, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to ask Corey first because I imagine Tyler's got a good one. I could see the look on his face and I'm excited <laughs> to hear it is Corey. Do you have a favorite up one game? Well, I've only had experience with pheasants. So I, I don't really have anything to, I, I've never killed a grouse. So I've never, I've never eaten grouse. I don't think I've ever eaten dove. I've had chucker, but that's not a game bird in Pennsylvania. Um, so most hmm. of my, my experience has been with pheasant and, and I cannot complain. I've made a lot of different things with it and, and I've been happy with most of them. So, so where I live, I'm again, Southern south central pennsylvania pretty much uh more farmland down here so most of, most of what i get after is pheasant dove you know uh, ducks and geese if you get add in waterfowl but by far the best game bird that i've had from pennsylvania has been grouse a roughed grouse is a delicacy in my book now maybe <laughs> it's maybe it's because i only have a chance to hunt them when I go upstate and it's a rare occasion. So it's a nice treat, but that is the best tasting game game bird, in my opinion, uh, that we have in Pennsylvania. Absolutely delicious. And so it's I, our state bird. Hear, it is. I hear, I hear a lot of, uh, mixed feelings about grouse. Now don't now, since you don't know me, I'll tell you that I don't take those. I don't take those comments like to heart. Because people will say the same thing. They'll tell you antelope's not good. They'll tell you mule deer, whitetail, blah. You hear like everybody's got an opinion, of course. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I can't. I don't disagree with you because I don't know. And I don't know. I want to try it. I'll try I, it. I encourage all three of you, if you ever get a chance, take it. Because it, it's, it's a really good meat. Really good. I, grouse are too fast for me. I I. I could never get shot off <laughs> at a grouse. They are tough. You talk about fast though. Try shooting at like those quail, man. They they like. Huh, oh yeah. They blow my mind how fast they are. They get oh. after it. Late season quail when they're gun shy, those things 
They're cooking. It's like it's like shooting at a major league curveball. <laughs> they get up and they just have to win and they're gone. So when I was growing up, we had a grouse that was living behind the house, and I would always take my shotgun out and try to get it, and it always it was always way too fast for me. Uh, and one morning, I got I got up and I went uh, out in the backyard, and there the grouse is laying dead in my backyard. I think it had flew into the window or the side of the house or something and killed itself. <laughs> so it had enough of your tormentation. <laughs> can't handle it anymore. Yeah, get me out of my misery. I can't take this kid shooting at me all the time. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's a good one. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about, so we've over the course of, of this year have sort of touched base with people kind of see how COVID uh, has affected hunting seasons. And I think out of all the places we've talked to people from, I think Pennsylvania's handled it in like a very unique, but positive manner. And I'm a, one, I'm curious how it's like personally affected your seasons or your hunting planning or fishing planning. But then, uh, you know, you, you put together uh, an article about it as well, which we can chat a little bit about. So, Sure. Yeah, no, it, it definitely has been a, a unique year here in Pennsylvania across the country, across the world. We're all in it. We're all going through it. Um, but, you know, from an outdoor perspective, it, has it's had it's been very unique um i can't say there's ever been a season like this and it's some might say well how does that change what you do hunting or fishing i mean you're outside but it has been very different um in many different ways but you know for starters trout season uh this was you know march april uh is usually when guys are gearing up to go trout fishing in pa and that's huge. Like if, if you're not from PA uh, and you don't understand what the tradition of trout fishing is like in the springtime here, it is, we have huge state stocking programs. It's like a put and take hatchery raised trout get stocked in all these streams and lakes across the entire state. And uh, everybody gets after it. It's longstanding tradition, but this year they, they sprung a surprise season on us. Uh, the season was set for, to open on a certain date, and I got a, an email notification come through my phone at like 10 o'clock in the morning. Again, I'm a teacher, so I was, I was teaching from home. I was about to do a training session <laughs> online, <laughs> and uh, my, you know, my soon-to-be five-year-old son's running around the living room. You know, my wife's at home. She's a teacher as well. She's getting ready to teach her, her online high school learning support kids. And uh, we have a couple-month-old baby as well in the house. So it's like complete chaos in the Franz house at this time. And I get this, this notification on my phone. It's a press release, which I get being a writer, um, but, but from the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission saying, effective at 8 o'clock this morning – trout season has begun <laughs> basically and not like, even what? like a, he a heads like, up like no i'm not even like started. tomorrow and and i understand why why they did what they did they wanted to try to 
have as much social distancing rather than congregate because we, we typically like the opening day of trout would be an eight o'clock start. You have the entire stream bank lined with anglers waiting for that opening whistle, quote unquote, you know, <laughs> to toss in the line and everybody gathers, you know, there by doing it, it was midweek opportunity to, you know, slowly have some attribution of guys going out there, not all at one time. I totally understand that. And, uh, but it was, it was definitely a unique hustle. We get, we got out, I got my boy out, but it was, uh, <laughs> God bless my wife. Cause she was like working her class, holding a baby. I like did what I had to do on the computer and we went out for an hour, caught some fish, came back. <laughs> I did another session online and then we got back out in the evening. So it was the weirdest opening day I've ever had, but my son was smiling from ear to ear and that's what it's all about. So. Yeah. I'm just glad we got out and got some fishing in. Yeah, I, I was working from home too. And, uh, you know, in between emails and stuff, scrolling through Facebook, and I see it on, on their the Fish Commission's uh, Facebook page. And I was like, well, I know what I'm doing this afternoon. So got my yeah. email answering all done. And we, I took the kids out and we caught a few fish that day too. Awesome. It was, it was like a hustle, man. I didn't even have anything ready. I usually take like the, the night before, lay everything out, get the vests all, you know, geared up and everything. And, you know, I knew where everything was at least, but it was a rush to like, but get the truck, (laughs) grab your net, grab your boots on. Let's go. I got an hour, but it it was fun. You guys typically fly fish or like a spinning rod? What, uh, what's the what's the most common thing? Or what do you do and what's the most common, I guess? Little of both. Uh, I really enjoy fly fishing. Usually when I'm when I'm taking my little guy out, we'll just, you know, take the spinning rods and I can concentrate on him a little more and just mm-hmm. really put him on fish and help him out. He's gotten pretty good at yanking him in. We're still working on the casting, but he's getting there. <laughs> He enjoys it, and that's that's like I said, that's the most important thing. Just having fun, enjoying our time together out there. I'm glad he likes what I like. I'm just really blessed with that. But yeah, yeah. And then and then when Dad gets some time to himself, then I'll I'll take the fly rod and go out and take my time and really enjoy it and do some stream wading and nice. That's kind of a nice relaxation for me. How's the how's the water temp there? throughout the i guess like the early part of the year like that it's good it's good that time it's a little cold um but usually like may by may in our area it's really nice it's it's prime prime fly fishing you know all through may we have sulfurs in our area Mm -hmm. coming off and uh some blue wing olives and you know you can kind of midge and trico fish later on you know into june you can extend it but uh i'll once it starts getting too warm here around, you know, mid June, that's a good time to, to get upstate and get to the cooler areas up on those mountain streams and get after the, you know, the wild brook trout and throw some caddis and some imitation patterns and stuff. And a lot of fun. Nice. It does sound like fun. I, I was thinking about it. This is about every time that I, uh, have a, a good conversation about fly fishing it and water temperature always crossed my mind. So like one of the first few times I went, we went up to uh Cody, Wyoming and we're fishing just outside Cody, Wyoming. It was June 
And, uh, you know, we went to our first stops, like local fly shop and we're like, all right, you know what flies we need, blah, blah, blah. We got rods. We're good to go. Like, do we need waders? Is it, you know, how's the water temp this time of year? And he's like, no, 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 it should be good. Like shorts, pair of tennis shoes. Like you just wait out there in the water. It'll be fine. You know, we're like, all right, it's June. It's like, it's in the eighties and nineties, whatever, man, that water had to be like 40 degrees. We got out there. I couldn't even sit. I got like halfway in and I started shivering. I was like, no way, man. He had to be laughing when you guys left the store. Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I just, uh, I think it traumatized me, but <laughs> nonetheless, I got a, I got a nice pair. Corey got a good pair of waders from Allen company. They get some work this year for sure. Nice. So, nice. uh, get some good, good quality stuff too. Some of those, the boots felt, what are they felt bottom boots? I don't know if you guys have used yeah. those before, but the uh, pretty, pretty solid stuff. So, uh, it's always warm water down here. Uh, when we fly fish like a back country and stuff. And, uh, Fishing in a bathtub, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I, I think last time I was down in Key West, it was what ninety-one degree water temp. Yeah, I, oh, it's <laughs> it's warm, man. I don't know. And is the well, it's September now. Yeah, it'll it'll keep warming a little bit to like October before it starts dropping. So we'll see. It makes hurricane season worse, but uh, we get some interesting fish in and out. Um, as a result of the temperature too. So it's been, it's been super dry, uh, in Northern PA up where my cabin is. And I, I was up in July and I usually can do some stream fishing, but I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to risk it. I didn't want to stress the trout cause it just, the water temps were too high. And then the main creeks were, were way low, super low. I should have, I should have fished when I had the chance. I ran up in Turkey season in May and uh, I, I did get out a little bit more this year um, with the, with the time schedule. Usually during the week, I'm I'm out. I was only kind of only a Saturday hunter for turkeys for years. <laughs> this year, I could I could delay my start just like just enough that I could, you know get started around nine thirty and I could get out you know dawn you know, first light and and I'd get good three four hours of hunting in. But I ran up there and I was going to fish, and it was so packed. It was so packed, like where I hunted the morning. I thought, oh man, I'm going to go fish the stream. I pulled into a tied at state forest, one of the parking lots there. And I couldn't find a parking spot on a rails to trails parking lot. There's the only one, oh, open, wow. the only one open was a handicap parking space. And I just thought, you know, I turned around and went home. <laughs> I had the fly rod, that everything, <laughs> but I'm like, man, it, it's just, I'm, I'm amazed by how many more people are using uh, public lands as a result of uh, of covid and and just getting out and you know it's a good thing it definitely is it's we're having more people drawn to the outdoors than we've seen in you know three four decades in our state um but yeah it's definitely different i i think about too like uh you know like the recent passage great american outdoors act and stuff like that like mm-hmm couldn't have been a better time for that to go through legislation because people spent like the past three or four months sort of out in the outdoors, like, well, let's get out of the city. Let's get out of town so we can go out and do something. And then in the news, you see like, Oh, great American outdoors act. Oh, well that's protecting public lands and giving more access. And people are like, man, I was just out there. Like, why not? And so then phone calls were made and, 
you know, here we are with the passage yeah. of that. So it would be curious to see if it, if it would have made it through the same time last year, you know, when a, a, a different, different scenario for the country. Right. I really um, think that was one of the, one of the positives that we can take away from all of this is that it really did give people an appreciation for the outdoors because they've been cooped up inside, you know, in Pennsylvania, we had, we had lockdowns. We had a color coding system, um, on, on where, you know, if you were in the red phase and you had so many, many COVID cases per X amount of people, mm-hmm. um, there were different phases and they were really recommending, you know, staying inside, social distancing, getting outside if you could, you know, maximize your distance and recreate and get exercise. Yep. They were all for that. And uh, I think every everybody really took that to heart and kept their sanity, helped keep their sanity. I know it helped me. You know, I got oh, outside yeah. as much as I could. And uh, we really, in the state, saw so many more people get out. The camping numbers more than doubled. Uh, and state park usage, they had like over a million more people in June of this year than they did last year. That's crazy. Oh, wow. Renting campsites in the state, and uh, it's almost impossible to buy a kayak or a mountain bike. They're all sold out, and uh, so that's kind of like it's almost been the gateway drug to the outdoors <laughs> in a sense, you know, like people are coming out, they're dipping their toes in, they're liking it. So I'm hoping it kind of keeps, you know, then they maybe buy a fishing license, go try fishing. And then they like fishing and, you know, maybe they're cooking up what they like and they're thinking, Hey, maybe I'm going to try hunting. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. How, how do you think it's going to affect the, the fall season here coming? I think it's, I think it's going to be, uh, I think we're going to see more, more people out there. There's going to be kind of more competition for, for hunting space, but I think that selling hunting licenses is a good thing because that goes into the conservation of the sport we love. But as of the first round of antlerless license sales, so that would have been like early August it was licensed sales for hunting were up 8% in Pennsylvania. Wow. And, uh, and they've been declining for several years along with, you know, nationwide hunting license sales have been going downhill, but, uh, 8% increase, you know, just in the, the first three weeks that licenses were on sale. That's, that's huge. I'd be interested to see what they are now. We, we used a, uh, kind of an obscure, season um application so alligator hunting here in florida um they saw the number of applicants almost double uh like like ten thousand more like something crazy and it's something like alligator hunting. it's not like every joe is gonna be like i want to go alligator hunting like people are like all right i think i'm comfortable enough to put in for tags and all that stuff and then um out in Wyoming in the area we normally hunt, like it's pretty, pretty easy to draw like antelope doe tags. And we had people, several people I talked to were like, Nope, we, we didn't even draw one. Like you normally draw no preference points or anything like that. And it's just like, Nope, they, they didn't get it. And then all there were a reduced number of leftover tags after the initial drawings, which was pretty uncommon. Cause I mean, last year and then the years before, like you could buy over the counter pretty, pretty easily for a lot of the zones. So I think it's 
it's a uh, nationwide. I w- I would hope so. It'll be good. Yeah, outside of Philly, um, obviously that's a huge, huge area. Uh, well, huge in terms of population, but they allocate a lot of antlerless tags in like the suburbs of Philly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had always, I'd always save that for my last round of of doe tags I'd put in for one because I have a buddy who lives down there. We go down, you know, it's my wife's college roommates, husband. We go down, she visits and you know, the kids visit and her husband and I go hunting and we have a good time. Uh, but this year I didn't get a tag for there. He didn't either. They sold out. They, they always have, them. you can buy them over the counter yeah. and they sold That's out crazy. Those units that we hunt. Crazy. Yeah. We've, I, I think it's only ever sold out one time in the past like eight to ten years that we've been doing this. Man. So yeah. What's well, it's you know what? It, it's good. It means more people are getting out, it means more people are buying license, taking hunter safety classes, they're they're dumping more money back into the in the conservation work, which I think is where you know, where it needs to be. So yeah, yeah, I'm all, a little I'm always saying yeah, I'm always thinking selfishly, like, oh man, I'm gonna, you know, yeah. I have to <laughs> fight guys off my spot. Yeah, I, there's definitely gonna be more people out there. Right? You can kind of, you can kind of bank on that. I just picture Corey sitting in his kitchen, drinking a cup of coffee, looking across, like cursing at the people parked across the street, like <laughs> run my access point. <laughs> but. Well, I think the better the the better more seasoned hunters will prevail. I think. Oh yeah, um, they'll go in further and hunt where they know that you know they can kind of get away from everybody, and and they'll see more success because of it. But uh, you know, I think maybe maybe it creates good opportunities for uh, mentorship as well. You absolutely. know, it opens up uh, some of those gates. People who wouldn't normally join into the hunting community do so, and. And some of the same seasoned hunters can can take some people under their wing and teach them some of the unspoken rules and customs of the of the hunting world. I, I think that's always yeah. It's a real a opportunity, chance. real yeah. opportunity for us to kind of step up as as veteran hunters and kind of preserve the future of the sport by by getting people to love it as much as we do. That's that's important. I hope. I hope everybody kind of rises to that challenge as much. Yeah, I, I don't want anybody sitting in my lap either, exactly. But <laughs> at the same point, you know, if, if I can take somebody along. I actually do have a buddy who's who's hunting this year. Um, he hasn't hunted since he was like 14, and he wanted to get back into it. So he's been asking me tips on, you know, where to go and what to look for. So I hope he gets one this year. I hope he hope he kills one and it reignites a spark for him. Yeah. There's a little uh, venison diplomacy. Yeah. It's one of my new favorite. It's one of my new favorite terms. That's a great term. Dude, it speaks so it speaks so much truth though. It's like um, you know, we do a lot of well, we used to do a lot of like dinner parties and stuff over at my place and it's like always wild game and people were quick to gravitate towards that, you know, just a curiosity, especially if they never had it before. And, um, man, I, I've talked to more people and it's like, you know, uh, people older than me too, you know, their forties and their fifties about to retire from, 
you know, whatever they're working at. And they're like, you know what? When I retire, I'm going to move here and I'm going to take up hunting because, man, I really like that venison. And I'm like, well, it's there, man. You just got to go out and get it. Yeah. So it's always a fun, uh, a fun occurrence. But I think our, our time is ticking down here, gentlemen. So uh, kind of what we like to do. Tyler's do a last sort of round for any uh, last thoughts anybody have. And, and since you're the guest, I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to go ahead and lead us off. So anything that crosses your mind, leave the listeners with on the last shout. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out uh, to the Pennsylvania Outdoor Writers Association. Uh, this is a, this is a group of communicators for the outdoors uh, that I, very active with. I'm currently the chairman of the board. I'm the immediate past president. And uh, we're really doing a lot of work and, and trying to make a concerted effort to continue communicating the outdoors just as you guys do. Uh, I think that's so important, especially at this time more than ever, when we see, you know, kind of print, print publications dropping off throughout the years. Uh, you're seeing less and less magazines um, less newspaper columns carrying outdoors pages. Uh, a lot of good friends lost long time writing gigs um, in years recently, but also to kind of shift towards the future uh, and find new ways to communicate this because there are receptive ears out there. There's so many new people coming to the sports and uh, we take a lot of pride in sharing what we know and our knowledge with our readers, our listeners our subscribers, our viewers, um, through print and digital media. So, uh, please look into that. And, uh, you know, if anybody wants to know more about Pennsylvania Outdoor Writers Association, it's paoutdoorwriters.com and, uh, really doing some good stuff, uh, as are many other organizations like us. Um, there's so many different media groups that are trying to really promote the outdoor message and, Again, right now it's it's ripe for the picking. We need we need to to share that message. Agreed. Um, what is the best way for people to connect with you? If they want to get in touch with you and, and chat with you directly. Sure. So uh, I'm active on. I have a, a pretty much a weekly blog that goes out. Uh, Natural Pursuit Outdoors is is what my website is. www.naturalpursuitoutdoors.com uh, there's links to my social media on there. I also have a YouTube channel. Uh, I do a lot of self-filming, especially in, in archery season. There's some great videos on there. If you haven't seen those, check them out. Um, and I have my link to my, to my email on the website as well, but active on Facebook. I have a great page there that is updated regularly. So yeah, I'd love to have anybody, uh, stop by, give me a like chat. Let me know how the season's going. I'm always, I'm always open to talk the outdoors. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing all that with us, Corey. Last thoughts. I'm just uh, happy that Tyler could come on and talk to us. It's, uh, you know, I'm kind of biased. I like talking to other Pennsylvania guys about Pennsylvania hunting. So uh, it's great that he was able to come on and talk with us. So I appreciate it. Will last thoughts. I just appreciate hearing, you know, the stories that Tyler brings to the table and, you know, hearing hunting laws being more progressive in other states, like being able to hunt on Sundays and kind of the new laws that are that are coming through is pretty cool. So 
I'm yeah, I'm I'm excited to hear um or to see more of that dual carry and see how it plays out. Uh, I think Pennsylvania can can create a good example for other other states and sort of blaze the way. So uh, I'm I'm gonna watch that one closely. I'll say for sure. Um, for me, really happy to have you on, man. It, it was great. I think we had some good conversations. Uh, you definitely moved grouse up at the top of my uh, to try list, so uh, I'm excited for that opportunity in the future. Um, but definitely for everybody out there, go over and uh, check out Tyler's social media's website, and um, also too, I want to say this: like, look around in your local area, support your uh, your local print publications. You know, just like you said, it's it's uh it's not always that these things are going to be around if we're not as hunters and anglers supporting them. So I mean, they're we're writing articles for you; they're writing articles for you. You know, it's a it's a commonality that exists, and just like you go out and support your favorite baseball team or you know hockey team or whatever, uh, you do the same for your local publication, probably at a lesser expense. And uh, it, it means so much to the community as a whole. But after you're done checking out Tyler's social media, if you're not following us already, go and uh, do that as well. Harvest of Nature on all the major platforms. And uh, as always, show notes, recipe links, article links that we talked about tonight uh, will be listed there. And then uh, if you haven't already, hit that five-star button on whatever podcast platform you listen to. And uh, make sure you're subscribed so you can hear future episodes of the Wild Fishing Game podcast and the Adventures for Food podcast. So uh, go check those guys out. And uh, thanks, everyone. Have a good night.